When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome to this week's edition of the Carolina Gridiron Podcast. I'm Justin Jones, and we're here to bring you news about football in the state of North Carolina at the college and the high school level. And joined this week here on the Carolina Gridiron Podcast, uh, Brian Barnes. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Justin? Doing all right. It's another exciting week here on the Carolina Gridiron Podcast, and just so much that we get a chance to talk about uh, with college football and high school football here in the state of North Carolina. And we're going to get the high school playoffs later. But really, we have to talk about Appalachian State and the Mountaineers and winning the first ever Sun Belt uh, championship game, uh, 30-19 to over Louisiana. Third straight Sun Belt title for the Mountaineers. Uh, first time in the conference championship game, the first time they've ever offered a conference championship game here in the Sun Belt. Brian, we were both there on Saturday. How would you describe the atmosphere at Kid Brewer Stadium uh, for this Sun Belt Conference title game. Oh, it was an awesome atmosphere. The rain and the cold couldn't keep it down. Fans came to rock, and uh, and the rock was definitely uh, in party mode uh, once that uh, final buzzer went off. Definitely. I knew just walking up to the stadium, all of the uh, the tents that had been set up, they had a really cool pregame, Sun Belt pregame show that was out there, kind of like a college game day type atmosphere going on outside of Kid Brewer Stadium. For the players, for the fans, for the coaches, uh, this was an experience. It's It was just unbelievable. It was something you had to be there. And the way that Appalachia State plays football, it's something that you could see them doing again in the future because this team is young. All right, Most of their, their, their best players are not seniors. They have some good, solid seniors. But some of their best players and biggest playmakers are not seniors. We could see them hosting future Sun Belt games, and I'll tell you, I know Brian, you'd probably agree with me here. Uh, the next time there's a Sun Belt title game, I know you and I are both there in that stadium. It was definitely one of the funner atmospheres that I've uh, been to this year. And you know, we've covered app games in the past, and, and and we talked about this on the podcast last week. How Kid Brewer Stadium is one of the best atmospheres for college football uh, in North Carolina. It got kicked up to another level, uh, and, and with this game, and just looking back at the game. This was, there was a lot of field goals in this game. There's one thing I can just say about this. You had plenty of field goals, seven field goals. Uh, you know, everything get, gets done in this particular game is sets a record because it's the first game. But I can't see any any game in the future uh, where you're going to have seven field goals. Uh, that That's going to be a record that's going to stick around for a while. But just look at overall at the game. You know, the scoreboard was 30-19. to 19. But if you were to look at the stats for these two teams, they were almost identical in a few places, Appalachia State had 300 total yards. Louisiana had 301. All right, App went 75 on the ground, 225 in the air. Louisiana went 85 on the ground, 216 in the air. They were both, you know, one for two when they had to try to convert fourth down plays. The biggest difference for me, though, is that 
and the teams were combined to be 6-for-6 six six in the red zone. Louisiana was 4-for-4 four four in the red zone, but a couple of those scores were field goals. And I think that probably had the biggest thing to do with it. Uh, Brian, whose performance were you probably most impressed with on out of this Saturday's game? Oh, it was it was Darrington Evans. Um, he had a, I mean, the, these two teams they played some good defense. Um, but Darlington Evans, he was able to get 111 yards on the ground rushing, but he also was able to pick up uh, a uh, on the special teams with his. Uh, kickoff with his kick returns 107 yards but 97 of them came on a big one where he took it down to the one yard line Um, not too often he gets caught from behind but a louisiana player was able to catch him and bring him down the one yard line which set up the appalachians first score of the day but uh his performance uh in that sunbelt championship game was uh was memorable and this was on the you know the second drive of the game, first offensive possession for Appalachian State. Louisiana had just driven downfield, and it was a hard-fought first drive, and they had to settle for a field goal. Then all of a sudden, you're kicking it off to Darrington Evans, and he returns it down to the one, and Marcus William punches it in on the next play. You could see that having a deflating effect on that Louisiana sideline, uh, just having that kind of lightning-in-a-bottle play uh, after you had just worked and methodically worked your way down the field and struggled to get those three points on the board to see App State just be able to put, you know, seven on the board, uh, you know, taking only 13 seconds or so off the clock with the return and then the one play. On the defensive side, uh, we know Darrington Evans was MVP of the game. He played outstanding. But I have to give a a shout-out to Anthony Flory. Uh, He had 11 tackles, three solo in this game. But one thing that doesn't really show up, uh, necessarily on the stat sheet, is he just seriously put pressure on that Louisiana quarterback all throughout the game, uh, uh, Andre Nunez. And he kept him on the run, and he got one hit on Nunez. Uh, and, and you just saw that pass just come out of Nunez's arms, and it just kind of floated to the air and where it was picked off by another App State defensive player. So I have to give a, a special shout-out uh, to uh, Anthony Flory, uh, for just having all kinds of, of havoc that he was wreaking from the linebacker position on uh, the, that, that Louisiana quarterback. He kept him you know, scrambling all day. Jordan Fear was doing this. Tay Hayes was locking people down in the defensive backfield with Clifton Duck. D- Davis Gaither from Thomasville, uh, Anthony Davis Gaither from Thomasville was doing that. Uh, so this was really just a, a great performance overall by Appalachian State. I said, stats-wise, they were fairly even. The biggest difference probably came down as, you know, App State got a couple more touchdowns, whereas Louisiana had to settle for some of these field goals. Now, the two turnovers, all right, two turnovers, and App State got one touchdown off of those turnovers. If you were to take that App State touchdown that they got off of a turnover, and if you would have converted one of those Louisiana field goals and made it a touchdown instead, It'd be the Raging Cajuns celebrating the Sun Belt Championship and not the Appalachian State Mountaineers. But this is a testament to Scott Satterfield and his staff for keeping his team motivated the entire afternoon and keeping them constantly keeping Louisiana at bay. They took the lead you know, on that first possession of the game, that the, the, the Marcus Williams score, and, and never gave up the lead. It got close, but they never gave it up. Afterwards, uh, it was a really cool scene to see fans, players, coaches, everybody on the field uh, at Kid Brewer Stadium, receiving that that Sun Belt uh, trophy. Uh, Brian, what was just kind of your thoughts of the post game atmosphere there at Kid Brewer Stadium? Oh yeah, I thought it was a nice touch that the Sun Belt allowed the fans to come down onto the field to celebrate with the team. 
um, it, it made it, uh, it made it a very special moment um, out there. And uh, I think Satterfield even talked about that in his post-game uh, press conference about how how um, it was a once in a lifetime for those kids out there to to be on their field, to have the fans around them, and to celebrate a championship. Yeah, and for all you know, the years since the transition, there were uh, some some folks, in, maybe in the media, some fans who thought, you know, why would you go to FBS? You know, it can't get better than those three straight titles that they won a decade ago. I'll tell you what, that atmosphere there on Saturday. Uh, that was better than anything I remember seeing in Kid Brewer Stadium back in the FCS days. Now, granted, I wasn't up at Michigan when they pulled that upset. That's just you know magical, anyways. But as far as FCS playoffs, this was it was good to have a meaningful football game in December in Kid Brewer Stadium again. But really, to me, this kind of fighting for a championship here, this was on a totally different level than the old FCS days. Kind of switching gears here to the other side of the state. Um, you know, we tend to have the last couple of podcasts, we've been talking about some coaching changes that have been taking place here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, quick update, uh, UNC has hired former coach Mac Brown. Last week, we kind of bounced that idea around. What had happened? What had not happened? We weren't kind of, sh- we weren't really sure. And then Monday, they came out with the announcement. They hired Mac Brown. Interesting blast to the past right there. You know, Mac Brown is a very successful coach for the Tar Heels. And we'll see if he can try to get them back to some prominence. Charlotte had a, an open vacancy uh, after they let go of Brad Lambert, and they thought they might have had uh, a coaching candidate except and, until East Carolina University announced a coaching change. They announced that they were not going to retain Scotty Montgomery, and then just today, uh, not too long before we recorded this podcast, uh, ECU has announced that they intend to hire Mike Houston uh, from James Madison uh, university now brian i know you do a lot of uh, covering f- of ecu football and from the american athletic conference you've had a chance to see james madison uh, in the past as well last year and this year what are your thoughts on, on mike houston the kind of coach he is i think he's a great coach um i mean he, all, he has a winning uh, pedigree behind him um i'm just looking over his uh coaching record I and mean, he only has one losing season um in his record so he, he's coming in he 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 won a national, an FCS national championship with James Madison his first year. He lost it in the championship game his second year, and, and now this year he they went out in the second round. But I, I think coming into ECU, he has everything there for him to turn ECU around already. So, Brian, in your mind, uh, what does Mike Houston need to do to be successful at ECU? Um, just bring the system that he has had at James Madison, um, the Citadel, Lenore Ryan, his past coaching spots, bring that to ECU. He's obviously has a winning pedigree. Um, ECU needs needs a change. It's obvious. I mean, going with three wins now uh, for the last three years. But he, he has a great group of kids at ECU. They want to win at ECU. You can see the kids. That, I mean, sometimes you go to schools and they, they don't have a winning record, and you can tell the kids they're not trying. The coach has lost the, the team. But at ECU, the kids were trying. They wanted to win, and and they and, and I think he is going to be able to change this program around because he does have a lot of things there that are good for him to work with already right off the bat. Holton Ellers is one thing, uh, a quarterback. that uh, He has a talented kid, a leader on the field, and it, that's going to be um, instrumental, and he is going to be instrumental in changing the path of ECU. 
Yeah, and, and Ehlers is something I was looking at as well. That is a top quarterback talent who is – he was a freshman this year, and he stepped in, made big plays. The kid loves ECU. Uh, that, that's one thing, and I agree with you about seeing those players, is that there was no quit in any of those players. And it's not like ECU has suffered from a lack of talent. You know, they, they've had talented players. You know, Nate Harvey was the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Trayvon Brown, Jake Verity, they were named all – American uh, Athletic Conference players this year. So the talent is there. Eastern North Carolina is rich in talent. You just got to be able to tap into that with recruiting-wise. And JMU has had some success uh, in recruiting North Carolina as well. Mike Houston has had success in recruiting this state. And so I agree with you that, you know, there's a lot of good pieces there already, and it's going to just be a different mindset maybe for Mike Houston to come in. I will tell you, uh, after getting a chance to cover some Charlotte 49ers, uh, over the last six years and Conference USA, you know, there was a time during the week when Charlotte thought that they had Mike Houston lined up to be the next coach of the Charlotte 49ers. Uh, they had reached out to Houston. Houston said he was interested in the job, and Charlotte actually had canceled the rest of their coaching search because they believed that they had an agreement uh, with Houston until the ECU job opened up, and then he told um, Mike Hill, the Charlotte 49ers athletic director, that he was still wanting to talk about some other jobs. And I'll have to give credit to Mike Hill on this one. He says, we want someone who's going to be 100% committed to the Charlotte 49ers. And he rescinded the contract offer uh, to Mike Houston, which is uh, you know allows him to move on to East Carolina University. I'll tell you, Brian, something I would love to see here is just have this as a little bad blood between Charlotte and ECU and maybe try to find a way sometime in the future to get these two teams on, on the field together. I know for you and me personally, uh, that would be a fantastic matchup. I know you're particularly close to ECU. I'm particularly close to uh, Charlotte. I would love to see that matchup sometime in the future. Now, also in college football news, bowl announcements came out this weekend. And we have got four FBS teams from the state of North Carolina in bowl games. And we're going to, on a future podcast, we're going to break down some of these bowl games. We've also got an FCS team in a bowl game. And we have a bowl game that's happening in North Carolina. We'll start off with that FCS Bowl game. That is the Celebration Bowl. North Carolina A&T, the Aggies, are back in the Celebration Bowl. They are taking on Alcorn State. Uh, this is for Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. This is going to be Saturday, December 15th. Uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to be absolutely uh, rocking when we are looking at this Celebration Bowl. Now, we can spend some time on a future podcast breaking this down. I'm just excited to see A&T back in this game. Now, Brian, just as a fan and as a, someone who covers North Carolina college football and someone who has had a chance to see North Carolina A&T, you and I have had a chance to see them a few times uh, through the years, how meaningful is this Celebration Bowl game to these Aggie players? You know, it's obviously very meaningful. You, you can see the excitement. Um, when they learned they were in it, I saw that on, uh, on Twitter about how, when they found that they were in it, they were jumping up and down like they had just won a national championship that they were ready to go out there and, and, uh, and, and party. Um, so this is very meaningful. It's, it's big for, for the kids. It's big for the school. It's big for the community there that they're in this. Yeah. And really this is for what we call the HBCU national championship. And I know as I was driving across the state, uh, the other day, I was heading up towards Durham. I was going through Greensboro. I love seeing the sign on the side of the interstate, 
home of the HBCU National Champions, North Carolina A&T Aggies, because uh, they won this Celebration Bowl a couple of years ago. And in the same way that we saw UNC Men's Basketball National Championship or Duke Men's Basketball National Championship uh, set up. So it's really awesome for Greensboro, for the state of North Carolina, to have a representative team there in the Celebration Bowl. Now that's from the, on the FCS level. On the FBS level, we've got four teams from the state of North Carolina that are participating in bowl games. Uh, we'll start off with Appalachian State. By virtue of winning the Sunbelt Conference, they clinched a spot in the New Orleans Bowl, the r &L Carriers New Orleans Bowl, against Middle Tennessee. Uh, Middle Tennessee, who finished runner-up in Conference USA, they lost a very close game to UAB. And so they are playing, that's the uh, Appalachian State Mountaineers opponent in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. That game is also on Saturday, December 15th. It's at 9 p.m. You can catch both the Celebration Bowl and the New Orleans Bowl uh, on the ESPN, the ESPN family of networks. We'll break that game down in a future podcast. Saturday, December 22nd, the Birmingham Bowl. You've got Wake Forest versus Memphis on December 27th. 1.30 p.m., you've got the Independence Bowl. This is Shreveport, Louisiana. You've got Duke versus Temple. And probably one of the better bowl matchups I think there's going to be using a North Carolina team, it's going to be that New Year's Eve game down in Jacksonville. It's the Gator Bowl where NC State's going to take on Texas A&M. Now, State you know, folks are very familiar with Jimbo Fisher from when he was at Florida State, but this is the first time these two teams have met. I can't wait till we get a chance to break down all of these bowl matchups on a future podcast. Also, we're going to count it as North Carolina college football, even though it doesn't include North Carolina teams, but the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, North Carolina, over at Bank of America Stadium, Saturday, December 29th at noon. You've got Virginia representing the ACC and South Carolina uh, representing the the SEC. The Belk Bowl, really, folks, if, you have, if you're not following the Belk Bowl on Twitter, you, you need to follow that. That, that is probably uh, one of the best sports-related Twitter accounts to follow. I love the uh, Belk Bowl equals best bowl. It, it's always good for entertainment. That game has been great through the years. It's changed names a few times. Brian, I, I remember you and I being at that very first, I think it was the Continental Tire Bowl back in the day. Uh, and It also had Virginia in there against West Virginia, and that was probably one of the better college football games that we've ever gone to. And that game has just gotten better throughout the years, and Belk's done a great job as the sponsor for that game. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going to look at the high school playoffs. We're going to look back at last week, and then we're going to take a peek at next week. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And $1,500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound... Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. 
And we're back, and we're here to talk a bit about high school playoffs here in the state of North Carolina. It's getting down to regional finals. We're going to take a peek back at last week and look ahead here at the upcoming matchups. Uh, in the 1A, uh, this past Friday, Rosewood was able to top Northampton 28-14. Pamlico defeated Gates 47-13. So Pamlico and Rosewood are going to be facing off in the east. Out west, Robbinsville took down the number one seed Thomas Jefferson 32-13. And Murphy defeated Mitchell in a great mountain battle 33-29. So you have Murphy hosting Robbinsville this week. Brian, what are you thinking about this? Hey, that's another uh, Smoky Mountain Conference matchup. Of course, in that Smoky Mountain Conference, they, they pretty much rule the uh, the one A's here. Um, yeah, this is going to be a uh, this is going to be a great matchup. This is a rematch, a conference battle where uh, Robbinsville lost that game uh, to Murphy, fourteen to twenty seven. Um, so this is uh, definitely going to be Mountain Football at its best. Absolutely, you know, in the East, Pamlico's trying to make it to their first uh, title game as well, and then Rosewood's looking to make it to their fourth. Uh, title game, which ironically they've lost the previous three to Robbinsville and Murphy. Uh, so we'll have to see a bit if history re- chooses to repeat itself there in the 1A. Uh, in the 1AA, Tarboro took down North Stanley 28 0. Um, Edens and Holmes took down Riverside Martin 48 21. East Surrey defeated Mount Airy 40 0. That, that score shocked me right there to see that kind of uh, result. And then Star Mount took down Polk County 21 7. So our regional matchups. Out east, uh, we've got Tarboro and Edenton Holmes. And out west, we've got Starmount hosting East Surrey. For me, I think about that Starmount hasn't made it. You know, they've made a title a few years ago. They haven't won a title since 98. And, and East Surrey is making a pretty good run here uh, in this year's playoffs. And just, like I said, that 40 to nothing uh, beating of Mount Airy. I just had Mount Airy as pretty much uh, the number two team in 1A about the entire year right behind Tarboro. And so I was kind of shocked to see that one, Brian. Oh, yes. Uh, that was one of those scores that I had to check two or three different sources just to make sure that it was the correct score. Yeah, that, that was that was shocking, 40 nothing with East Surrey over Mount Airy. Um, but out east, that tarboro uh, Eans and holmes game, that, that, that could be a very exciting game. This, of course, is a rematch from last year where I think uh, Tarboro won – 56 to 7 is that correct it was 50 to 7 50 it, it was a, a whole bunch yeah. to not so much so i guess uh yeah the folks from edenton are looking for a little bit of revenge this time yeah and and, and of course both these schools have a uh, championship pedigree i think they both have five titles under their uh under their belt so uh the winner of this game is it, definitely going to be ready to play for that championship exactly and, and really and that's uh the 1a what double east was very strong throughout those those top four teams that were left in the one double east are were four solid teams tarboro and edenton head and shoulders above uh some of their competition uh, in the two-way northeastern sitting there at the top seed they took care of kenston kenston's magical run uh and their undefeated season has ended it was 40 to nothing another top game down in the southeastern part of the state southwest onslow took uh, care of wallace for a seal 29 to 20. Uh, out west brevard Kept going, number eight Brevard. They they took down uh, you know the one last week random one. This time they went on the, the road to Trinity to Wheatmore and defeated them twenty to thirteen. Reedsville twenty one to fourteen over Mountain Heritage, which sets up we've got number one Northeastern against number six Southwest Onslow out east, and out west we've got number two Reedsville against number eight Brevard. Yeah, this is going to be – these are two good games here. Um, Brevard is uh, going to have to go to Titletown. 
Um, of course, you know, Reedsville with their 16 state titles, they're going to see that on the scoreboard for VAR, but they're not going to be intimidated. They're looking to get back to that title game for the first time since 1982. Um, the Northeastern and Southwest Onslow. Northeastern is looking to get back to the uh, championship game. I think last time was 2014. They have yet to win a title. I think that team is overdue for a, a title with their success they've had the past few years. But they have to go through Southwest Onslow, uh, which has made a resurgence this year back onto the scene after being down for a few years. So that's going to be uh, two fun matchups there. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, anytime I've had a chance to talk to uh, Coach Moore, Antonio Moore of Northeastern, you know, he is, he is an awesome guy, awesome coach, and, and his, his team always plays well. They play hard. They play tough. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to see Travion Freshwater from Northeastern, you are missing out. Um, that guy can fly, and he is fun to watch. And I think he might be an ECU commit. Um, it's either ECU or NC State somewhere. Maybe he's going to stay in, in the state. Uh, he is a great talent to watch. And so going up against Southwest Onslow in that defense is, is going to be a challenge. But defense is all the rage, in the, at least for the 2AA East, you know, the teams that are left. We got Ledford, who topped Hertford uh, County 22-6. to And then in the game I was looking forward to the most out of that bracket, North Davidson took down Southwest Edgecombe 56-28. to Out West, Shelby took care of North Lincoln 35-7. High Brighton took down Bandy's 34-15. So out East, we've got Ledford and North Davidson. And out West, we've got High Brighton and Shelby. And it's weird to think of any of these teams being East. They're all in the western half of the state, but it's just how the brackets fall. Uh, For me, that High Brighton-Shelby game right there, uh, that one's a big game in my opinion. You know, Clay Lewis and High Brighton, the coach there at High Brighton relies on that running game. Uh, McKinley-Witherspoon. Uh, Marquand Jones, those two guys together have combined for like 2,700 yards on the ground. I know Lance Ware and Shelby and those Golden Lions uh, with that proud football and championship tradition that they have. A, a rematch of last year's regional final where High Brighton was able to win and go on to win their first uh, state title. This is going to be a, a, a tough matchup here between these two teams. And they, they could both score some points, which is kind of the opposite of Ledford and North Davidson, don't you think, Brian? Oh, oh yes, Lefford, North Davidson. These are two defensive-minded teams. Um, this is a rematch of the Central Carolina uh, pretty much championship game, which Ledford won nine to seven. But these two teams have two of the top defenses in the state. And uh, don't go if you uh, don't go to this game if you like scoring, because there's not going to be a lot of scoring on the on the board. So yeah, that, it's the thing's going to be two opposite ends with the East and the West. One's going to be defensive. The other one's probably going to be a shootout. Yeah, and it's one of those, if you like good hard-hitting football and you love a good turnover on downs, Ledford and North Davidson's for you. If you if you want to see how well special teams can come into play, Ledford North Davidson's for you. If you want to see teams that will move the chains, High Brighton Shelby is your matchup. Uh, in the 3A out east, Havelock took care of Terry Sanford, 47-33. And Jacksville, Jacksville continued on with their track meet-like scores, 59-17 over Eastern Alamance. Uh, out west, Kings Mountain, you know, broke the, the hearts of folks at Northwest Cabarrus, 49-28. The Northwest Cabarrus had their best opening season, opening to a season ever, 13-0, and that has dropped. And then Charlotte Catholic found a way to shut down the vaunted Hunter Huss um, offense, and Catholic was able to win 28-7. 
So out east, we've got Havelock and Jacksonville for the regional. And out west, we've got Charlotte Catholic and Kings Mountain. You know, what's funny for two schools that aren't that far away from each other, Charlotte Catholic and Kings Mountain, they've never played. And Catholic has traditionally struggled sometimes with schools from the Cleveland County area. So Kings Mountain can score a lot of points. Catholic doesn't give up that many points. And so this is your uh, irresistible force meeting your immovable object. And that one, that one's pretty good. It's high on my radar right now for where I'm going to uh, possibly end up this Friday. Um, Brian, what do you think about that Havelock-Jacksonville matchup? Oh, yeah. <laughs> These two teams are going to put up a lot of points. You know, Havelock has, has come in. that They're scoring. Their defense is looking a little shaky. Their defense has given up over 100 points in the past three games. So I'm a little concerned about that. Jacksonville's come in lighting up the scoreboard with 56, 56, and 59 points in the past three games. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who pulls this out. Um, I would, I'm always going to lean towards Havelock for that. Uh, they've, they, they, they do their fair share of winning, but uh, Jacksonville, I think they have a chance, and it's going to be fun to watch that one. Yeah, and, and Jacksonville's only blemish on the season was a 45-28 loss to uh, Havelock, and then that's how Havelock was able to win that Coastal 3A conference, I'm sure. Jacksonville would love to return the favor and end Havelock's uh, perfect season. So, yeah, that's a big match of that Coastal 3A rematch. 45-28 was what it was during the season. Uh, it, we might even see even more points on the board right now with the way uh, these offenses and defenses have been playing. Uh, in the 3AA, uh, out east, you've got Cleveland that took down Hillside 36-6. And then in a pretty tough rivalry matchup, Southeast Guilford uh, took down Dudley 21-18 out west. Uh, Weddington went up to Boone and took down Watauga, the top seed Watauga, 42-14. And Mount Tabor traveled up to Asheville and, and took out AC Reynolds, 24-21. So out east, you've got southeast Guilford and Cleveland. And out west, you've got Mount Tabor and Weddington. And I'll tell you, that southeast Guilford-Cleveland game, uh, that's going to be over there in Greensboro. Uh, both of these teams, I believe, are looking for their first title game appearance. So you're going to see an exciting atmosphere, some hungry fans, some hungry players and some coaches uh, that are really looking to get over a hump that they haven't been able to, to get to uh, before. You know, I know that's a big atmosphere uh, anytime you're trying to go for that first title game appearance. Right, Brian? Oh, yeah, that, that's going to be that's gonna be a, a great atmosphere there at Southeast Guilford. And another great atmosphere just down the road pretty much in, at Mount Tabor with, uh, with Weddington coming to town. Um, I remember, I think it was when you went to the uh, Crest game with uh, Weddington, you, you told me, look out for this Weddington team. They're looking good. They can make a little run deep into the playoffs, and here they are in a regional. Yeah, when I saw them earlier this season, I covered their game against Crest, and I covered them as well against Sun Valley. Uh, I knew that team could be special. You know, Andy Capone, uh, you know, stepping in for Tim Carson, he's done a good job. And those Shipley brothers, uh, they are the real deal. Um, you get the ball you know, in, in, into into Will Shipley's hands, and you never know what's going to happen. Jordan Shipley could, can do plenty of good things on the ball. Mount Tabor has regular season. Maybe a few people overlooked them. They came in the last week of the season. They thumped Parkland and, and put it into their perfect season, and they've just been taking down teams uh, here in the playoffs each week. And so, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's going to be a tough like grinded out matchup right there. Both those teams, you're going to see some tired players. They're going to need some some Gatorade. They're going to, you know, get out the 
uh, the, the pickle juice, something, they're going to need something to help them recover from that matchup. In the 4A out east, and what a game which just came down to the wire here. 71st took down Southview, 42-41. to And Scotland took out Pine Forest, 27-21. Out west, East Forsyth was able to breeze by Grimsley, 41-7. And Porter Ridge uh, went on the road again and topped West Mecklenburg, 42-20. to So out east, you've got 71st and Scotland. And out west, you've got East Forsyth and Porter Ridge. What are your thoughts of these two matchups here, Brian? With that 71st Scotland matchup, um, I don't think anyone was prepared to see Scotland playing 71st for this uh, East Regional. Because, uh, I mean, if, what, I think 71st is the 5 seed and Scotland's the 10 seed. I think Scotland came in with 6-5 with and five record, if I'm not mistaken, coming into the playoffs. So, yeah, it, it that game, I don't really know much about it, to tell you the truth. I just know that these two teams are uh, were unexpected to be there. They're riding the wave. Their fans are loving it. I'm interested to see who's going to go play for a title. Is Scotland's going back or is 71st going back? Yeah, and, and this was something out of... You know, when we started the playoffs here and we looked at all of the brackets, that 4A East just looked like an absolute gauntlet. And I was just absolutely shocked that you don't see any of the top four seeds that even made it to the third round. One out of the four make it to the third round. And you know, you know it's number five against number ten. For, for the teams that were there, you, know, you got South Central, you had Cardinal Gibbons, you know, and they didn't make it. And that just goes to show you just the overall depth of that, that 4A East bracket. You know, for the 4A West, you know, East Forsyth's been able to move pretty pretty easily uh, through the playoffs so far. You know, they took out Glenn. They took out Grimsley uh, pretty handily. I, Porter Ridge is going to give them some, some, a tough challenge because Porter Ridge, they are playing some tough-nosed ball. You know, they took out Reynolds first round. They took out Page in the second round and again on West Mech. And so they just... They've been on the road the last few weeks. This one, you know, you got to circle that on your calendars for for a top-notch matchup. In the 4AA, out east, Wake Forest took down Wake County rival Leesville Road 41-10. Pinecrest went on the road to Wilmington and brought down Hogger 26-17. Out west, Vance, big win right there, 34-21 over Huff. And then Myerspark 37-14 over Richmond. I was at that game. You know, I thought Myers Park had a chance to win. I didn't think they'd win it like that. The regional matchups, Wake Forest, Pinecrest out east, Vance, Myers Park out west. This is going to be a big, big Charlotte matchup here. One of the better games that Charlotte has seen in a while. Vance, Coach Brand, and this all-gas, no-breaks uh, approach, and, and they will just keep the foot down on the pedal. Uh, Scott Chadwick and the Myers Park Mustangs, super talented. They play hard. Uh, these two teams... Vance is looking for a, a trip to a state title game for the first time. I, I can't even remember the last time that Myers Park made it this far. I, I think, Brian, it was like sometime in like the, the 60s or so. So, yeah, these are two teams that are wanting wanting to get uh, over the hump and get to that state title game. Yeah, and, and we're talking about the 4A not seeing this happen, uh, but but now the 4AA, I didn't see Vance in, in Myers Park playing for the, for the regional. Uh, that, that was just as that's just as shocking as the matchup as any of them, because um, I was definitely looking at Mallard Creek versus Richmond, and then Huff took down Mallard Creek, and I was like, oh, well, it's gonna be Huff versus Richmond. Oh, well, no, no. Now Richmond and and uh, Huff go down, so it's Vance and Myers Park, and that Myers Park win at Richmond was probably one of the bigger shockers of the uh, of last week. 
because you were at that game, and I remember I was I saw your tweets coming in, and then at one point I went, wait, he has that score backwards. I might just have to send him a message, let him know. <laughs> but no, the Myers Park took care of them, and uh, that's going to be fun to see who's going to who's going to rule Charlotte going to the championship game. And on the other side in the West, you got Pinecrest and Wake Forest. Wake Forest looking to get back again, two time defending state champs. Um, nothing stood in their way yet so far, so uh, we'll see if Pinecrest can uh, can knock them off. You know, Pinecrest, you know, they've, it's pretty much how many teams, this will be the third time of the playoffs that they've had to play a team from Wake County. They were able to take out Panther Creek and Holly Springs earlier in the playoffs. They took down Hoggard and, and, you know, from New Hanover County, so now they're going back to Wake County to take on Wake Forest, you know, two-time defending champs. You know, they're going to win until they don't, which is kind of a counterintuitive thing to say, but that that's just the way it is. Plenty of good matchups, 1A through 4A across the board. I always tell people to make sure you go out and support your team. There are 16 awesome games uh, throughout the state of North Carolina, from the mountains to the coast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. You can find me at NC Gridiron. You can find Brian at NC Gridiron News. We'll be giving you plenty of updates from the high school playoffs uh, from around the state of North Carolina. Uh, Be sure to check out Championship Central at carolinagridiron.com. Brian, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast tonight. It's always fun to talk high school and college football uh, with you. Yes, and it's been it's a pleasure. And, yeah, this is a great time of year. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and stay tuned to carolinagridiron.com. We'll be coming back with a podcast next week, uh, looking and breaking down all of the state championship game matchups because that's one thing we're going to know after this week is who's going to get a chance to play for a state title game. And so thank you again, Brian, for coming in with us. We want to thank you for joining us this week on the Carolina Gridiron Podcast. Be sure to check out carolinagridiron.com. Check out Championship Central for information about the playoffs. Check us out on Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, or Apple. Thank you, and we will see you again on the Gridiron. basketball court all wet because the players kept dribbling on it the dad joke corny grown worthy but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids what did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school bye son (laughs) so take a moment to make your kid laugh because dad jokes rule make your kid laugh today go to fatherhood.gov brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council